Welcome to the Andy Staples Show, best day of the week. That's a line, by the way, stolen from uh, Dwayne Dixon, who's a, an assistant at Ohio U right now. Uh, he was an assistant at Florida back in the day, and every day he'd come out to practice, and it didn't matter what day it was. He'd say, Monday, best day of the week, great day to get better. And then Zach Piller, the offensive tackle, and James Bates, the linebacker, would immediately yell, Monday, best day of the week, great day to eat butter. So that's why I always bust into best day of the week when Ari Wasserman is on. Ari, welcome. I wanted you to mean that. I want you to mean that it is the best day of the week. I thought when you started telling that story that that coach texted you, I love Ari's show so much and you guys have great chemistry. It's the best show of the week. It's the best day of the week. I look forward to it. But you know what? It is the best day of the week, Ari. I don't say it when anybody else is on. Okay, good. I just want you to mean it. I'm just telling the folks where it came from because okay. it was a, it was a, Coach Dixon, he understood. He just understood how to get you in the right frame of mind because, listen, it can be hot in Florida and you might not be feeling it as you're stretching out, getting ready for practice, but he would remind you that it's the best day of the week and it's a great day to get better. So it's a great day to get better for us because we have suggestions or programs that want to get better, that want to get back to their, their former glory, or maybe they've never really had a lot of glory and they're just trying to get some. But you, you had this idea last week, and I thought it was a really good one. And it's basically the what now. And we're talking about some programs that are in a place where they just need to change their tack. They need to change their strategy, whether it's recruiting, whether it's forming an identity for the program, they just aren't where they need to be. And we threw out some. Nebraska and Tennessee were probably the most obvious ones because those are ones where they were nationally elite, and now they're not. But you and I kicked around some other ones. And I think this is a really interesting exercise because you know you and I have talked about this, the idea of you don't have to be Alabama or Ohio State to be good. You can be good. You don't, maybe you're not a national title contender every year, but you can be a really good program if you define your identity, if you recruit to your identity, if you, if you keep doing it, you don't really don't back away from it. And it's hard, though, when you're firing coaches every three years and, and doing some of the stuff these guys are doing. So, all right, uh, you know, what do you think – What's the most important thing? If you're, if you're a program, let's say you're not, you're not a program with every single advantage. And, and the ones we're going to talk about today, they don't. There, there's something that is holding them back that they have to overcome. What's the most important thing you have to do when you are one of those programs? I think the most important thing you have to do is just the obvious thing is, is hire the right coach. Now, that can mean a lot of different things, right? You, you want to hire somebody who has a certain personality that draws attention to your program. You want to hire somebody who uh, has connections to your program or graduated or is your alma mater. I, I guess that, I, I think that's fake, actually, but that's one of the things that people say. The numbers uh, say hiring someone who went to school there does not really do anything. Right. Um, hire somebody who has a plan of how to attack a recruiting strategy that could work. Um, and every single one of these programs has kind of done one of these things or, you know, has pretended to do one of these things. Um, but having the right coach is the, is the prerequisite. Now, the problem with my answer is that that could mean a million different things. Um, mm-hmm. 
And I don't know if there's like one, and that's the, what makes the show so fun to do and so much fun, hopefully, to listen to is that there is no uniform answer for how to fix everybody. Like everybody's yeah. different. Everything is is um, based on varying circumstances. And I think that the only way that you can make a blanket statement about what is the most important thing for everyone is to say something that is true for everybody, which is find the right coach. Now, the right coach for program A might certainly not be the right coach for program B, which makes this exercise super fascinating. Well, and, and we always bring up Wisconsin when we talk about this stuff with good reason, because they've been able to figure it out. Barry Alvarez was that right coach. He established the identity. And then when he moved on to become the athletic director, he did a great job of finding the next right coach and then the next right coach. And then, well, I'm not sure we're, if we're counting Gary Anderson, but they did fine when he was there. But then the the absolute next right coach in Paul Christ to keep that going and keep that identity consistent and keep them winning. And that's hard to do. What they have done is incredibly hard to do. But that's what Nebraska has to do. That's what Arizona has to do. That's what Virginia Tech has to do if you want to be consistently good. Now, Virginia Tech did it for a long time. We're going to talk about them later. But they feel like they're in that spot where they don't quite know what they are right now. So I just... I think this is fascinating because I, I do think there are ways out of it. And we, and we picked an interesting cross-section of programs because some of these programs could be very good if you do it right. You, you, could, you could build them to where they are potential, you know, potentially winning their conference, potentially m- competing to make the playoff. Some of them, no. Some of them are, are further down and you're just going to be trying to win your division every once in a while or, or just have a, a good, like a 10-win season every once in a while. But I do think... There's a way to succeed almost anywhere. Maybe not UMass, but pretty much anywhere else. And so I just think you've got to find that and, and then have a little patience and, and all that. So actually, I'm going to add another one to the list, Ari, that I did not send you in our text. There was one that, that, there was one that, there was one that jumped out in my brain that we left out, too, that wasn't in your text. And I'm very curious. Was it Florida State? Program. No, because I don't think Florida, I think Florida State's plan is clear and obvious. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, well, let's start off with the one we missed. What, what, what was the one we missed? Syracuse. Oh, that's a great one. That is a great one because that's a program that has been good, that has had great play. That is good. Like all time great players come through there. Right. And obviously the world changed on them. You know, geography made what they do recruiting wise very difficult. But yes, there may be a strategy for Syracuse. And they're, let, let's be honest, they're attempting one right now. Hiring Dino Babers, they were the first, well, I guess they weren't the first. I guess Tulsa was the first when they hired Philip Montgomery. But Philip Montgomery and Dino Babers were the first two coaches to bring that Baylor offense out because that was a pretty secretive group when Art Browse was at Baylor. They did not share with a lot of other programs. So these are the first two who came through there who learned that offense who took it somewhere else. And so they're trying it at Syracuse now with, with Dino Babers and that offense. It just hasn't, with the exception of one really good year, it hasn't worked. Yeah, and before we really get into this list, I just want to make the point that the reason why these teams are on this list of what's next or what now is because I don't know that we know the answer to that, and that's the reason why they're asking themselves that. Every program, for the most part, 
has a clear and identifiable idea of what it can and should be doing, but sometimes it just doesn't work because the coaches can't get it done. Uh, some of the programs on this list are just like, seriously, dude, what's next? And like the fun thing about this is we're going to make up a fake plan for all these programs of like what we would try to do to make them better or back to what they have been in the past. So like for Syracuse, what would your plan be? Like, what would you, if you were the in charge of Syracuse University, what would you do of saying like, okay, coaching hire starts now. Here is exactly what we're going to do over the course of the next four years to compete in our conference. Here's my thing. I think they, they had a good plan with Babers. I think that was a good plan because that's an offense where you don't need five-star linemen. If you get a quarterback who's pretty good, you can be pretty good because you you can find tweener receivers. You can find that, and they've had really good players. I mean, like Andre Cisco on defense is a really good player. So right. I think I think they have the right plan. I just think they need to execute that one a little better because the, like the the Scott Schaefer plan, the hard nosed plan was not going to work. You know, he came in. We're going to be hard nosed. We we people who can you know survive winter in Syracuse, New York. Well, no. You got to be different. You, you're not going to, you're never going to out athlete anybody there. And, and you're probably not going to out tough anybody there because you you're not going to have the athletes to do that. So you need to be able to do something a little bit different. You can always find speed. Speed's plentiful. So if you can find a good quarterback who can pull the trigger, then that's, that's the way to do it. I think you could make the case that Syracuse is the hardest job in the Power Five. Um, I think you, yeah, I think that's and, a good, and, uh, good case. And even if you have to like think about it, the point is made. And the problem is, is that you have to go to places that aren't freezing cold to find the speed. And you have to convince those players to come be a part of something in that cold at a program that's down right now in order to do that. Right. So the only thing that you can do, and the reason why I agree with you in that Babers' offense is the right move, is because you have to bring something to the table in Syracuse, New York, that makes somebody feel like they should fly over other schools to land in upstate New York and try it there. Now, that's only half of the plan, right? Like you have you, to You've got you've got to be somebody's only ACC offer. And and right. they're not getting offered at all by the SEC. And they're not getting it offered at all by the Big Ten. You have to be the only Power Five offer, and you have to be right. I know. And if you do that 20 times a class and you're right four times, you are screwed. Yeah. And, like, it's hard to hit 80%. Like, what do you even think is a rational conversion of those types of offers? 50% is probably the best thing you can hope. That's the best you can hope. So then if you hit 50% of your 85 scholarships and the other are are – offers that you miss on from athletes that weren't good enough to get other power five offers that put you in a position where you can't compete. Now, can I, so like, now, can, can, can the new world help them? Because now you're in a position where they're going to be guys who did take the other power five offer who didn't like it there, who didn't realize they couldn't crack the lineup there that you could then get as a transfer. I think that the new world of college football is going to be very advantageous, and, I, and I'm tra- still trying to digest. I think the how batting. I, think I feel like work. the batting average at a place like Syracuse is better there. If you're trying to get some of that out of the portal rather than getting all of it out of high school, 
Right. The other question, though, that I have is Syracuse offers a two-star tight end from Iowa. This guy goes to Syracuse, and he has a growth spurt of four inches his freshman year. Turns out to be one of the best tight ends in the country, and then LSU needs a tight end. Like, is it going to work the other way? So I think that the beneficiaries are going to be the Syracuses of the world for sure in this new world. Um, but the thing that also you have to take into account too is that you don't want to build your program off of misses from the big places either. Like no, because like that's ha- that's not a, that's not a route. At least at least half of that has to come out of high school. Right. Otherwise, you're going to have some weird class balance stuff, and and you could have one class that totally ruins you if if you're if you're yeah. going to rely completely on transfers. And like Syracuse had a nice team a few years ago. That Dungy quarterback was oh, was fun to watch. Yes. You know, like they, I think that you know Babers has actually done a really good job there for from a watchability standpoint. But like, I just have a hard time articulating um, what the plan should be on paper, which is what I so easily criticize as coaches for not having. And that's why this list is interesting because I don't know what it would be. Well, and and look, I think it's very quarterback dependent. Like Syracuse had Eric Dungy, and when Eric Dungy could stay healthy, because you go back to you know his senior year, they were they were ten and three, they were really good. But you go back to the previous years, they were good when he was playing, and then he'd get hurt, and they they'd be not good anymore. So that is exceedingly quarterback dependent. And I, I realize we're oversimplifying here, and a lot of there are going to be a lot of offensive systems that are quarterback dependent. But that's one where if you have that guy. You can now. What, what's interesting is when when Bryles was at Baylor, and we're talking we're talking about the on the field stuff here. Yes, he had a Heisman winner in RG three, but Nick Florence had a phenomenal year after RG three left. Bryce Petty won the Big Twelve twice as the starting quarterback. It didn't have to be a Heisman winner to work, right? And the thing that I like about the the Dungy example is that you're talking about a three star quarterback who ranked in the mid 600s in the 2015 class from Oregon. Like, and in the new world of recruiting, these types of athletes are far more accessible to the Syracuses of the world. So if you have a a recruiting coordinator who is advanced in, in identifying and finding quarterback talent from coast to coast, there are a lot of really good quarterbacks that, go overlooked. And as the process goes on, they become more and more valuable because scarcity and supply and demand take into account to everything. But you can find a really good quarterback if you're Syracuse, because there's a lot of really good ones that just kind of go unnoticed. But it's just about when they, when they are playing other teams that have a chance to win the ACC, I don't care how good the quarterback is. You can't win at the highest level. If you're out athleted at every position except quarterback. So it's just like, to me, I guess the the hypothetical plan that you hope would work is kind of what the plan is, right? Hire uh, yeah. a, a coach that has an exciting offense and try to cast out a net away from New York to high to get speed and to convince people to come and and join your team in order to be a part of an exciting system because there's no other identifiable strategy yeah, from a, you, you, from a from a geography say, standpoint gotta, to overcome that. Go out to a bunch of fast six foot six one guys. And say, do you want to catch 50 balls a year? And you get them on campus, and the ones who can't catch, make them corners. And if a couple of them catch, then you have six a six-foot corner, and that's a good thing. But then you've got 
some speed, some athletes. Uh, the quarterback thing is really interesting because the the Dungy thing, uh, he's you're right, he's from Oregon. They went out and got him. Do you know where he's committed before he flipped to Syracuse? I don't remember his recruitment all that well, but like I think Nevada was in play there, right? He was committed to Wyoming, and him leaving that commitment to go to Syracuse opened up a scholarship at Wyoming that was again given to Josh Allen. That would be a fun podcast just to do all these things. Quarterback dominoes. Oh, the quarterback, quarterback dominoes. Dom- yeah. Now I want real dominoes, but you know, quarterback dominoes is, uh, is certainly a fun thing. I did not know that fact. That's an interesting dynamic for sure. Um, and I'm like looking right now, Andy, at the, you know, top 50 quarterback prospects in the country, uh, right now. And I'm looking at the quarterbacks that are kind of ranked in the same general area that Dungy was. And I wrote about this kid. Chase Harrison is a three-star prospect from Dayton, Ohio, who's committed mm-hmm. to Marshall. And he was somebody, when, when I uh, was living in Ohio and he was a freshman three or four years ago, people thought that this was going to be an Ohio State kid, that this guy was going to be really, really good. And the pandemic and certain things occurred for whatever reason, and his growth was stunted. And he hasn't had a senior season. He hasn't participated in camps. But Syracuse should be able to go get Chase Harrison, not Marshall. Like there are places on this. And if you like, look like Washington state has a commitment in this general area. Maryland is trending for one. Um, FAU is trending for one. Let's let's establish the criteria. We'll use Eric Dungy as the example. Can you run and get the ball out quick? If you can run and get the ball out quick and, and go where you're supposed to go with it, you're, you're perfect for that offense, right? You don't have to have Josh Allen's arm. You just get the ball out when you're supposed to and and know when to let the back take the, the ball because they're dropping eight. Like that's all all that offense is, is you're reading how much they're committing resources to defend the pass or defend the run. And if you can get the ball out very quickly and if you have the capability of scaring them with your legs a little, which Dungy was a really good athlete, but – that offense is tough to stop by anybody. Just ask Clemson. I mean, Dungy almost beat Clemson, and that team was awesome. Yeah, no, I agree with you. So what would you say then? So like, before we go on to the next programs, Syracuse's plan is to run a system that's attractive to people from coast to coast, which, expand, which they do. The net, expand the net as far as you can from a recruiting standpoint to, to – uh, to expose or bring to the surface overlooked gems um, and use that exciting offensive strategy to get people excited enough to consider going to your school when they don't have other options closer by. That's exactly right. With, and, and, and look for the ones who good group of five programs are recruiting. And I realize that's sort of like if Boise State's in on somebody, go get them because they tend to evaluate very well. Now, what's a better we'll offer? see what the new... St- It depends on what the kid wants. If the kid wants to play in the Power Five, if the kid wants to go into broadcast journalism, he's going to Syracuse. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I just you know like, we got Mike Tirico and, and Marv Albert and pretty much everybody else. Because so. I know that it's very easy to look at the Power Five and just say, if you're a Power Five team, you're automatically a more prestigious offer than other uh, non-Power Five offers. No, I, look, Boise and State. I don't they're, think they're that's gonna the be case. some people. Who, yeah, they're going to be some people who pick Boise State. 
there would definitely be people who would pick UCF over Syracuse. I think there would be people who'd pick Cincinnati over Syracuse. But I also think there'll be people who say, I want to play in the ACC. I want to play against Clemson. I want to play against, you know, North Carolina. I want to play against Miami. So I'm going to Syracuse. Yeah, no, I agree with you. But I think that's a good, uh, a good kind of transition to the next one. If you brought UCF up, and that would be Tennessee. Yes, because Tennessee is going to try to do what UCF did. Uh, they have hired Josh Heupel, and I, I think with Tennessee establishing a good identity, and it could be any kind of. I, I don't think it can be a, a power power offense identity like. I'm not sure I would do. I would want to do like a Wisconsin type identity because you're never going to be able to recruit a good enough offensive line to block Alabama and Georgia regularly. Listen, I'm thinking about the Syracuse plan, and the Syracuse plan is is everybody's plan. Get under get under uh, appreciated prospects to come to your school, and good luck. Like that's yeah. everybody's plan. Well, it's, now, it's, it's say- the same reason. It's the same reason the service academies run the, the triple. You know, you run the triple so you don't have to recruit the same kind of offensive linemen because you can't. Right. And you can't recruit the same kind of quarterbacks. So you run the triple. I'm going to I'm going to say something and if you if you think I'm an idiot then just call me an idiot, okay? Okay. And I'm willing for for the sake of this podcast to come across as an idiot. Okay. But when I was thinking about what Tennessee's plan should be, you know what popped in my head before I put the dots together? I thought Lane Kiffin would be the perfect situation there. <laughs> they tried And then that I once. remembered they tried it. I don't think they saw it through all the way, but well, they no, tried he, it. He got offered USC and he left. Yeah. No, no, he I know. But what, I'm, what I'm saying, though, is now in that scenario, they weren't able to see it through all the way. Giving it another go, I think, is the plan. Well, okay, so here's the reason why I bring this up. This, this Lane Kiffin, yes. That Lane Kiffin... Maybe, maybe not. It depends on how much he w- he was going to be willing to evolve offensively. Because I and, and if you go back to that year, I covered that year. He did a good job. Like he had a great game plan against Florida and against Alabama that sucked possessions out of the game that kept them as close as they could possibly be, despite those teams being quite a bit better. Uh, but he didn't come around to that style of offense really until Sark came around to it at Washington. This Lane Kiffin could not exist without the first Lane Kiffin. So I think it's all kind of the same thing. And the reason why I bring Lane Kiffin up is this is this is what I'm looking at. So our great Tennessee beat writer went out to Spring Hill, Tennessee this week to cover mm-hmm. an announcement of twins um, from Tennessee who were announcing their college decision. These, these kids are Destin and Keaton Wade. Both so of which da- I think David Ubbin is in Spring Hill, Tennessee, awaiting their decision. Yeah, well, knowing beforehand probably that they were going to choose Kentucky, which they ultimately chose. Now, right. in the in the story, um, Dave said there are fourteen players within the state lines rated as four or five recruits, and I think Tennessee has commitments from zero right now. And I think eight of those players, and these are just numbers that I'm just trying to remember off the top of my head, but roughly eight have committed to other schools. Now, if you go back and you look at Josh Heupel's recruiting results at UCF, you might not say that he did a very good job from a recruiting standpoint there. Now, obviously, Heupel hasn't even started his tenure yet, hasn't coached a game there yet. It's a little unfair right now to be It is, and 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 I'm not, no, I'm not ripping him, but 
the thing that I'm saying is, is that Tennessee, based on what's coming down the pike from the NCAA, the situation that they've been in with what they've done with their coaches in the in the past, you need more than anything. It's because because it's such a hard place to recruit to right now, geographically because the state is long, like you like to point out, the competition for the athletes that they have to get to beat the Alabamas and the Georgias, it's almost impossible for them right now. Their state is becoming more and more talented and they're missing out on instant. You need a dynamic personality that can infuse enthusiasm into that program and make them a and competitive And that, is, that is exactly what Lane Kiffin did and the that's first what, time around. And that's what I think Lane Kiffin brings to the table. Now, Lane Kiffin isn't out there signing top 10 classes at Ole Miss right now, and I understand that. But right now, Tennessee and Pardon my French, they are getting their ass kicked in the recruiting world. And that might just be a temporary thing because there's some uncertainty about what's coming down the road and it's a first-year head coach and there's a lot that goes into to getting these commitments. But if Tennessee continues going down the road that they're going down right now, they are going to have a really hard time finishing outside of last place in their side of the SEC in two years. And like that's not a stretch. So... When I think yeah. of like, what is the perfect plan? What What is the perfect plan? My perfect plan is hire the most explosive personality that's going to make Tennessee a talking point every single day, who you know will recruit his butt off and go and, and make Tennessee a place to land again. And you could sit here and say, close the borders of Tennessee and all the boring jargon that you're going to hear in any introductory press conference for a college football coach. But I think inspiring enthusiasm, making Tennessee cool again, like we talked about a few weeks ago, is the hardest thing to do. And somebody like Lane Kiffin, who I know might be hated or loved, depending on which Tennessee fan you ask. Oh, they wanted him. The fan fan base wanted him back, but he was not going back. I mean, he's... Yeah. Because of the NCAA stuff, his situation at Ole Miss right now is probably better. So... Yeah. Yeah. But, like, that's my plan. Like, that would... Like, that, that would be my thing. Hire a coach who brings something different from a personality standpoint in order to make you overcome how impossible. And like, two, I want to make this point clear because if there's Tennessee fans listening, I'm not trying to to negatively talk about Hypel. I think Hypel got hired into a really, really hard situation. So part of the reason why this is happening is out of his control. But it's also not out of somebody's control to incite a personality that makes it exciting and not every, I mean, Nick Saban isn't an exciting personality. I'm not saying that's a prereq for being, but at Tennessee, I think that the, it's a particular situation that requires well, like, that Lane, fit. Lane, Lane would talk about this, the, the time, the year he was at Tennessee, that he was doing lots of stuff to get people to talk about Tennessee, to get Tennessee to be a talking point. And that's just not Josh Heupel's style. He's not going right. to do that. So I'm trying to think who, who right now would be that kind of guy? Because like James Franklin is that kind of guy. That's what he was at Vanderbilt. PJ, I'm Fleck not sure he comes is his, to mind. PJ Fleck would be one, but now I, I would imagine that they probably at least put a feeler out. He's probably got a better situation right now. Right? No, I know. It's a really hard any, situation. Any Big That's Ten why school it's, can next? back up the truck. Like Tom Allen makes you excited about football. He's you know. Any Big Ten school can spend to protect their coach from leaving except to go to a place that's a national title contender. I mean, that, that's that's the part that it doesn't matter if you're top of the Big Ten or bottom of the Big Ten. They've got tons of money. So that's why 
I, but that's why Tennessee's on the list of what's next. What is next? Oh, what's yeah, next for exactly. Tennessee? Because because 10 years ago, you could have gotten P.J. Fleck or Tom Allen by snapping your fingers. They would have come to Tennessee. But right. they're just not going to do that now. It's like a tough spot for Heupel. It really is. And like I think, looking at his situation right now, you could make the case that UCF is a better job. Well, and, and that's what the UCF fans have made that case. Now, we'll see what happens with Gus. If, if Gus makes them significantly better and, well, significantly better from what they've been would be winning that division, potentially going undefeated. You know, that, the, the ceiling is, they're pretty close to the ceiling as it is at UCF. So it, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see how that goes. But yes, Heupel inherited a, a really tough situation. And I, that's what I don't think people understand is it wasn't like there were a lot of people just clamoring for that job. Because it is going to be incredibly difficult. Now, I will say the one thing that, that may help is as wrong as Jeremy Pruitt's program-building philosophies were, because he, he wanted to out Alabama, Alabama, and out Georgia, Georgia with players that weren't as good, is he did get some good players on the line of scrimmage, which should help them over the next year or two. Yeah, and the funniest thing about uh, Tennessee is that they have like the best defensive lineman in the 2022 class in the state. And he's probably going to end up at Alabama or Georgia or something, you know? And it just, I don't know if Lane Kiffin or somebody that had that, that requires this type of bandwidth gives Tennessee a shot. I mean, maybe nope. Maybe it's just a hopeless place okay, right well, now because you me, don't know the future. This, sorry. But, let me ask you this. Let's say, cause Josh Heupel's offense scores it, it moves the ball and it scores. So let's say they are, they play like Ole Miss plays. Because Ole Miss is good, but Ole Miss isn't great right now. But they are fun to watch. Let's say Tennessee's fun to watch. Does that change things? Does that inspire some hope at that point? You know, I don't know. I don't know if if they're fun. To, I mean, because Ole Miss is fun to watch, but how much time do we spend talking about them? And I guess that's kind of like I talk maybe about them that's all the time. I, I consider yeah, them no. like well, the must see TV team in the country. But why do you talk about them all the time? Because of their offense or because of the coach that calls it? Both. And by the way, going back to our Syracuse plan, guess what that offense is? A laneified version of that offense. That where, where did Jeff Levy come from? I just want somebody at, at Tennessee to throw their play call sheet in the air. It's harder to do than you think, Ari. As I learned, I mean, you have week. to have the right. You have to have the the right trajectory. You have to pierce the air. You have to air. have the timing. It's the timing. It's <laughs> it's knowing when the dude pops open that you got to throw. You got to throw <laughs> when the quarterback throws. It's just it. It takes practice, man. It, I, you know, Heifel's going to have to learn, work on that. We'll be right back after this message from one of our lovely sponsors. Let me let's let's go to the Big Ten, and I put this program in here. Listen. I think this program is in better shape than the other ones on this list, but they don't reach the part that their fans want them to reach. Uh, they were bad last year, and that's Michigan. What does Michigan need to do? And, and they did something this week, Ari, that you've been talking about. So mm -hmm. will that help? They, they, they've, they've hired a new director of on-campus recruiting. Will that help them create a coherent recruiting strategy that can maybe make them competitive with Ohio State at some point. I don't, I'm not saying they beat Ohio State every year. I'm saying beat them every once in a while. 
I think that it should help because what was going on there before um, just wasn't working because if you go and you look at the way that Michigan was recruiting the previous four years, there's no real rhyme or reason of like, Hey, this is why this stuff is happening. It just kind of like was all over the place. Um, I don't know that Michigan belongs on this list in the sense that you can sit there and say what's next for them. Because like when I think about Tennessee, my mind goes into a pretzel because I don't know what's next for Michigan. I think that they are doing right now what I would have suggested or have been suggesting for a long time. Replace your recruiting coordinator, uh, make your coaching staff more youthful and more connected within the area, which they've done. Complete staff overhaul. Um, And the one thing that Michigan has never done in the Harbaugh era or has done very sparingly is focus on Ohio. And I know that people think that that's insane because Ohio isn't Georgia or Florida or California by any stretch of the imagination. But when Michigan was at its best, they were in Ohio. And a lot of the best players in the history of that program are from Ohio. And what they used to do is they used to make Ohio State work harder in their own state. Right now, Ohio State picks the top five to seven players in the state every year, offers them and gets them with zero work, and then gets to spend 100% of their time recruiting the rest, the, the remaining 50 to 70% of their class without much resistance in their own state, while also recruiting the city of Detroit and the surrounding areas quite well. Michigan, if you've taken taken note of the population and what's going on, there's a ton of talent in Detroit. There's a ton of talent in Cleveland. There's a ton of talent in Cincinnati. Michigan has the geography in place right now if it wants to be competitive to stay in the Midwest. But when you look at their, their charts of where they're recruiting and how they're recruiting, you got people from Massachusetts, you got California, you got Florida, you got Texas. They are literally all over the place. And I think that they've spread themselves too thin. Um, And Michigan is a national brand with a wonderful education, and it has all the amazing things that every college kid wants to be a part of. Uh, Cool uniforms, great stadium, great tradition, a lot of people who love the program, an awesome stadium, um, a lot of recent renovations. Ann Arbor is one of the coolest uh, college towns in America. Like Michigan has it all, and they've got more money than God. Um, But if they're able to just focus and land some of these in-state prospects that keep getting picked off by Ohio state and Notre Dame and you know, other programs and just get into Ohio and make Ohio state sweat. Even if you don't win battles, you have to at least try. I think Michigan will be better off in the long run because it's also kind of like this too. If Michigan battles Ohio state tooth and nail for a five-star prospect in the state of Ohio, which that used to happen all the time in the nineties, then maybe Ohio State misses out on the five-star kid from L.A. or Miami that they've been working on because they have to spend more time trying to keep that other kid home. So if Michigan doesn't get that five-star prospect that it's spending time on in Ohio but causes Ohio State to miss on another five-star prospect because they couldn't spend as much time, then you're still incrementally getting closer to the other program right, by still, causing still them helping to— helping close the talent gap, which You have is to the close the gap yeah. somehow, and, and you don't just close the gap by gaining talent. You also have to play defense. And Michigan is completely non-existent in the state of Ohio, and Ohio State's picking up five-star prospects from Detroit like every year. It's like use that youthful talent, make Michigan cool again, grind your ass off in Detroit, get back in Ohio, and send troops into Ohio and constantly hammer that state. 
and then pick up the leftovers out of California, Texas, and Florida. And your Massachusetts pipeline makes zero sense because they're signing five players every few years from Massachusetts that are ranked in between 800 and 1,000. No, no, I know, but like, okay, so one out of every 10 players they get out of the, out of the Northeast turns out to be a a really good player. That's not a good enough ratio to beat Ohio state. So, you know, I think that they kind of are on the right track right now. I don't know that they should be on this list because I can sit here and babble about what they should do next for an hour. Whereas like when we get to Tennessee, I think uh, they should be on this list. No, I think the teams that, (laughs) that are, should be on this list are the ones where it's like, dude, I don't know. Like, but like with Syracuse, well, I'm like, dude, uh, what I'm I don't saying know. is we have to have some answers every once in a while. <laughs> well, and, I didn't know if we wanted to do a, po- a podcast for an hour of I don't know because you know yeah, we got th- another this one. one on I here feel too, like that- we got some answers, and and you're right. I I don't think that's a hopeless case. I think what you just laid out is doable. Yeah, it's been done for seventy years, and I know that like Ohio State is on its own plane and has been successful and. You know, Ohio State and Michigan aren't the same program, but there was a time during my childhood and early on before Jim Trestle took over where every single year playing that game was scary for Ohio State. And I don't think that that world should be completely gone. It was a rivalry before it can be a rivalry again. Right now, the rivalry is completely dead. And part of the reason why it's completely dead is because Michigan has tucked its its tail between its legs and hasn't even tried to battle them during the other months where they're not playing. Battle them in July. Battle them in August. Don't just battle them in November. Battle them all year long, whether it's on their turf or in your turf. Make this a geography thing. You know, and I liked what Harbaugh was doing in the beginning of his tenure. Talk crap. You know, post things on the internet. Make jokes. And I know it's harder to do those things when you're losing. Um, and it was cool in the beginning. And eventually you have to start winning. But make them a headline again. Do, do something like satellite camps. Make Michigan a thing. And don't use Michigan to, uh, to make Michigan a thing to to put a placeholder in Palo Alto. Do it so you can lock down Detroit with the Detroit coaching staff that you have right now. There is a ton of talent in Detroit, and too much of it is going to Ohio State right now. All right, let's go across the country to your alma mater, Arizona. Yeah. Jed All Fish. Right. I just I haven't even what caught my your breath yet. You're do this to me again. For, <laughs> what is your advice for Jed Fish? Because we, I've heard this rant many times, but... I want the people to hear it because, you know, you you went to school there. You understand that place. Uh, you know what they're dealing with from a recruiting standpoint. And I love your idea of just go get some linemen from the Midwest, like find the top rated offensive linemen in all of the Midwestern states and say, come here on an official visit. Walk them across campus on a, on a day when it's cold back home. And just see what they say. I went to Tucson. So a few years ago when I was still covering Ohio State, um, they were playing at Rutgers. And I told my boss, I said, hey, I don't want to go to that game. It's going to the spread, I think, was 38 points or 40 points. I don't want to cover this game. Send me to Arizona. I'll hang out with my parents for a night. And then I will drive down to Tucson and write a story about two Ohio State targets who went to Tucson um, South Point Catholic in Tucson because I wanted to write stories about Ohio State. Okay. Bijan Robinson's high school, right? Bijan Robinson was one of those kids. Okay, the other one was Lathan Ransom, who will probably be a starting safety for Ohio State this year. And I walk into that school, and I was just going to like write recruiting updates because I was there, and you know they were really hot button topics in the recruiting world at that time. And I sat down with the coach, and I said, "Hey, just out of curiosity, I went to school up the road here. How often is Arizona in here?" And that coach 
said, never. He said, I, I was there more than they were. And this is a, this is a, uh, high school campus that is one of the best high school, uh, producers for talent in in the state of Arizona. And I did the map on Google maps. It's 2.1 miles away. (laughs) Kevin Sumlin drove a Porsche 911, which are really fun to drive. And he should have driven that Porsche 911 2.1 miles to that high school. Cause you want to know why his son was on the team. Well, I'm sure he, and he did still then. didn't go. I'm sure he was at no, he some wasn't of the games. There. I don't know if he went to a game. I'm sure he did. My point is the coach was telling me that they didn't even try. And I understand that when you're Arizona, it's a really hard thing to try to recruit B. John Robinson when Ohio State and Texas want him very badly. Um, and I understand that you're going to lose those bottles. Home. Maybe he's... Maybe he's afraid of planes. Who knows? What you at least have to ask, right? And and the point is, is that you make that kid tell you no a thousand times. And if you lose out because you tried really hard and he wanted to go to Texas, then you know what? If you're Arizona, you live with that. But there was another three-star prospect uh, named uh, John Fina, I think I believe his name was. Or um, his father's name was John Fina, who played at Arizona. He went to UCLA. Three-star offensive lineman. So the point of the, the story here is that Arizona, despite having a cool helicopter that they use to fly Bru- around. Bruno Fina. Bruno, Bruno Fina. Yeah, this has been three years since I wrote the story. Bruno Fina's on UCLA, and I think he was a top 600 prospect. Also wasn't recruited very well by Arizona. And the point is, is that you have to try at home. Arizona is a very interesting place because it's a transient population. Most people... Uh, are not from there who live there. Uh, They have other allegiances. They don't feel like they want to stay home. And I think that's a problem that Arizona State has too. But there's a ton of talent, uh, more so every year as Phoenix is one of the most uh, highly expanding metropolitan areas in the country. Phoenix is the best metro area in the country for quarterbacks. And they're all going to Big 12 schools. So like my number one rant for Arizona would be, try in Arizona. Just try. Step one, try, Okay recruit the hell out of Phoenix recruit the hell out of Tucson and do your best. And when I say that Arizona wasn't trying, I think the last two years that they signed like three total top 50 players in the state of Arizona, like the last two or three years, I think last year they only got one out of 50. So like, they're not even a a factor at home. And I understand that California is important. Texas is important, but first step for Arizona is try at home and be relentless in trying. Even if you lose these recruiting battles, you have to start somewhere. You have to try. And then two, the second part of your point is I would pull up Michigan State's recruiting class every year. I would pull up Cincinnati's recruiting class, and I would pull up Kentucky's recruiting class and targets. And I would just take those those kids, those offensive linemen and defensive linemen that are not going to Ohio State, but also considering Michigan State uh, Indiana, Cincinnati and Kentucky and other schools in that area. And I would say, how about you come down to Tucson for an official visit in November? And then I would have them uh, at gentle bends on the end of campus. And then I would walk (laughs) them across campus in the 64 degree weather as the sky turns purple over the mountains down to the stadium where it's been recently renovated Tucson are spectacular and let them sit in the zona zoo section and see how much fun it was to go to school there. Now I don't give a crap if Arizona wins a hundred games or zero games makes no difference to me. I've never, for whatever reason, connected with my alma mater. Are you listening? Jetfish? This is real, real advice. This is good advice right here. I did go to school there and let me tell you something, people, it was freaking awesome. I, 
had the best, and everybody who goes to their college knows they had a great four years. But I was studying by the pool. I was in awesome weather. And yes, granted, it does get hot at times, but year round, you're wearing shorts. And it is just a wonderful break. And there are a lot of really uh, small towns in Pennsylvania, in, Arizona, in, in Ohio, in Indiana. Uh, Illinois and all these states in the Kentucky Midwest that get and, yeah. super, super dreary in the middle. Take them down to Tucson. It'll be like something they've never seen before. Get them a Sonoran dog. Take them up the bars. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and walk them down because it gets really rowdy out there. You, it the is Guaro Canelo, blast. is that what it's called? Yeah. And if somebody wants to go down to, uh, you know, Indiana, Bloomington's a cool town. East Lansing's a cool town. But I promise you that you'll have some success in the Midwest. Because kids sometimes just want to get away and try something new and do something different. And even if Arizona can't sign a top 30 class based on Arizona, California talent alone, which is their two main recruiting territories for obvious reasons, they have something awesome that they can sell. And a lot of these these places on this list just don't have much to sell. Like Syracuse only has an offense to sell. Arizona can make a cool offense. They had a lot of they've they've had a lot of really fun teams to watch. Arizona's been fun. Get your lightning in a bottle athlete um, quarterback who runs all over the place, spread it out wide, and just make the games fun because the games are fun. People don't care necessarily like live or die with whether or not you win or lose, but Arizona can just sell fun. And I think that that program, I'm not saying is going to go win a national championship, but if done the right way and done with passion, which completely lacked in the previous regime, I think they should not be recruiting in in classes that finish in the 70s. Like, it's just inexcusable. They should not be the well, and, worst. And the thing is, if Washington State and Utah can compete for national or uh, Pac-12 championships, Arizona shouldn't be the worst team in the Power Five. They, they've been pretty good fairly recently. Like, they made a Fiesta Ball, a Fiesta Ball under Rich Rod. Like, it, it, they, it's not impossible. It isn't. So, that I listen, your advice on, on the how to recruit Lyman to Arizona – like Jed Fish should be writing this down because I've made that walk across campus. Have you? Like, yes. Yeah. I, I remember because Rich Rod was the coach at the time. And I, I walked into his office because I was staying at that Marriott on the other side of campus. And I walked into his office. I go, I don't know how you don't get everybody after they make that walk. That Marriott is the exact starting point of where you would start walking because it's the bar scene right there, right behind mm-hmm. it. And yep. then there's like a little archway that it welcomes you to campus. And then you walk all the way through campus and it's about a 10 minute walk and you see the buildings and the beautiful, um, student, uh, union and all the people mm-hmm. that are in there, the tailgate scene. It is a very infectious place and a lot of fun. I go back to homecoming, have an awesome time every single year. The bars there are rowdy. Well, it's an amazing like this, place. This to was go. a random January day, by the way. Yeah, if you did it, like, if you had an official visit, and, you know, Arizona's always good, too, for, like, one weird upset every year, where they, like, when I was yeah. in college, they beat, like, number seven UCLA, 52-7, to seven, when Willie Tuitama made his first start. Like, they've had a lot of, like, interesting games. If you get them at the right game, too, like, I think, and their uniforms are cool. They've got a new stadium facility that's built into the side of the stadium. Like, it is a place that has something to sell, and... They should be a marginally good team. I'm not. I'm not saying that they should be, you know, a, a national championship contender, but they shouldn't be one of the worst teams in the country, and they are right now. So, and and like, I don't know if this is an arrogant thing to say because I write a lot about recruiting, but I think that I would do a really good job as their 
uh, recruiting coordinator. <laughs> like if I, you're like, trying to I, take the, the Barton I, Simmons route, you go straight from <laughs> writing to recruiting coordinating. Well, 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 the thing that Barton Simmons does that I don't do is that he can go to a football camp and like look at a lineman's footwork and say whether he should be ranked number seven seventy one or number four thirty one. I can't do that. If somebody could break down film for me and then hand me their evaluations, I think I could make the plan the best. Like that's I like, would, that's I like would, saying if someone if someone could write the story for me, I'd make a really good writer. Yeah, you. Yeah, you. Well, no. The thing too is, there's two parts of being a recruiting coordinator's job, and some some programs have ten person recruiting staffs that they pay over a million dollars for a year. So you know you can have a very good talent evaluator, but you also need to have somebody who sits in an office somewhere and does the math on how much time it's going to take to spend in this area of the country. Why are we attacking this area? Which kids are we recruiting from this area? And kind of like make a plan of how we're going to spend our time because so time you is currency. You want to be the general manager, and yeah. then you have a scouting staff. And okay, I, I'm a scouting you. staff that I trust, and I know. Hey, here are the top twenty-five kids on our board right now that we can get. Here's where they're all from, and then let me decide which assistant coach goes where and which way they use their time. And I could make a top thirty-five recruiting class guaranteed. Well, let's stay in the Pac-12 because you you added this one to the list earlier today. And it's one of those, I, I think they're getting better. I'm starting to see what looks like a plan, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I just, maybe that's a mirage and it was just, you know, the la- end of last season was weird and you know, the Pac-12 played that truncated season. But UCLA, like I feel like it looked toward the end like what Chip Kelly is doing, you're starting to see the point of it. I think Chip Kelly is the plan. I think that's a good plan. Now, the problem with Chip Kelly is from an evaluation standpoint, the reason why he was a genius or viewed as a genius is because he recruits kids that don't really rank well. And he he has a system and he has an idea of what his system is supposed to do and what it's supposed to look like and which players will thrive in that system. And you don't really know that it's worked until it starts working. Because if you sit back and go, well, these classes are, are, are crap in comparison to what they should be based on the rankings, you're doing what makes Chip Kelly a genius at a service. And now we're living in a world where his offense isn't as unique as it used to be, and he's at a new place, and this isn't Oregon, and I know that it's easy to doubt whether or not he still has that mojo. Um, but a Chip Kelly hire at UCLA is the exact plan that I would take. Exciting offense, a person who has come close uh, to winning a national championship has built a program or helped build a program up into national prominence. And it makes UCLA's coach recognizable. And UCLA was in that show, all American. They had a recruiting uh, episode and Chip Kelly was on it. Like, I love that. Like embrace the Hollywood do everything. And then it's just like, you know, I don't know if I can really gauge how well he's doing because I don't know if the recruit, if I think that stars matter, I think you know that by now. And recruiting rankings should be your Bible, or at least your your prereq of knowing who's going to be really good. But if stars don't matter for any program in the country, I think you could make the case that UCLA is that program. So here, here's my thing: we're going to get a, a a pretty good gauge to start this season because we're going to get to see them against a stars matter team that is still somewhat raw but is incredibly talented. LSU is the opening game for UCLA. So this will be the test. System has what Chip Kelly has been doing been enough 
to overcome that sort of talent? Because here's the thing. Oregon is going to have that sort of talent. USC, if they ever get right, will have that sort of talent. And if you can't hang with that, then you're not ever going to win the Pac-12. I think that's a really good column. I don't know who's going to be covering that from the UCLA side uh, or whatever. I'm sure you'll probably end up going. But system versus stars, I think, is a very interesting dynamic. Because LSU is going to have a system too, but they won't really have had time to. Right. Because that'll be their first game with these coordinators. What is Chip Kelly going into? Year three or four? Four. This is three. This is four now? So year four of Chip Kelly with players that he recruited in a system that he's putting in place versus an LSU team that is one of the most talented in the country but is still trying to put it together, I think is a very interesting angle for that game. Absolutely. Absolutely, because I think LSU, you know, if they made the right hires, that will become evident as the season goes on. We don't know what that's going to look like game one. You know, that pro- and it probably isn't going to be perfect game one. So that's, the, that's your chance if you're Chip Kelly. Like, I wouldn't want to be playing this game game six. But game one, I feel like there's a, there's a shot there. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that like UCLA is what next, I think, is it. I think we're in it. I think we're in the middle of it. Yeah. I, I think we're going to get an answer. I think this year is, is going to be the answer because the first two years under Chip Kelly were very rough. I, again, I, I've said this a million times. I am glad for his sake and for Florida's sake that he didn't take the Florida job because they would have just fired him after the first two years. There right. wouldn't have been time to do what he wants to do. And also, you can't do that at Florida because you're supposed to win national championships there. And you have to be able to beat LSU and Alabama and Georgia. And you have to be able to recruit that kind of talent. Now, we may have to have that discussion about Dan Mullen. As, as the time goes forward, but at least he's winning double-digit games every year. So for Chip Kelly, you know, he, his big thing at, at Oregon was water the bamboo, water the bamboo, and, and you know what that means. Bamboo doesn't grow until all of a sudden, like three years in, it just shoots up. Well, right. that's, we're going to see if he's been watering the bamboo or if he's just been watering like a succulent that doesn't actually grow very much. Because like last year, he finished number 31 in the recruiting rankings. So, and I don't know like what a reasonable expectation should be for UCLA's recruiting results, being in Los Angeles and being kind of a sexy school to go to great education, right? It feels like Mora was able to get not full classes of wow. That, I mean, that's Alabama does that USC was doing that back in the day. I think Oregon's doing that now, but Jim Mora was able to get some dudes in every class that USC wanted or that, Texas would try to come in and recruit or that Ohio state was in on. And I don't feel like they're, they're in on those guys that much anymore. But like the thing about it is, is is that okay? Like if you trust chip Kelly, like, is that okay? Because the number 267 overall athlete this year in the 2021 class, 267 overall player is a kid named Devin Kirkwood out of uh, Southern California. And it's just like, is Devin Kirkwood, though not an Ohio State, Alabama target, going to turn out to be, wherever they put him, one of the coolest fits and one of the best athletes in the Pac-12 in three years because Chip Kelly's a genius? Like, that's the only thing that keeps me, like, kind of at bay with, let's see how this thing turns out. Now, I don't know if year four or year five are, like, the the the, the days of reckoning where you kind of make that decision, but... I think UCLA hiring Chip Kelly is that plan, and I think we're going to find out very soon whether or not that plan worked. 
All right, before we get to our random ranking, one more school. And it's an interesting one because it was a school that had a very distinctive identity for a long time that I would say outpunched its weight, that definitely outperformed its recruiting rankings. Virginia Tech. Because it feels like they're sort of on a on a precipice here. Like, are, are they going to get back to where they're competing in the ACC again, or are they going to slide? I don't know, man. <laughs> I, 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 that's an I don't know. Um, their recruiting class in 2020, 2020, I think, finished in the 70s. Yes. So if that happened, then it's just like the answer to that question is no. Um, and they're, you know, I think moderately improving, right, in the recruiting rankings. So yes. I just like to me, it's like the idea of I have hope that Maryland might be very good or very good for what Maryland should be. I'm not saying right. they're going to beat Ohio State, but Maryland has signed a five star prospect at the end of the, each year's class, uh, at the end of the class, each of the past two years, and had a really good class in 2021. Like Virginia Tech finished number 45, and like Maryland and Virginia Tech are recruiting the same general area. Well, that, that's you know, what the, I was going to ask. If, if, if Maryland is recruiting well, can Virginia Tech recruit well? Or if the answer should be yes, I think that you should make the case that Virginia Tech, based on the brand that it is, should be recruiting better. Now, Blacksburg isn't as conveniently located as College Park is to like the D.C. area. But they put but, so many guys in the NFL. I mean, they got a, they got a corner who's going to be a first round draft pick this year. Like they can they have the bona fides like they can point to here are the NFL guys we've we've helped build like that feels like a very strong recruiting pitch still. Are you talking about Maryland or Virginia Tech? Virginia Tech. Well, the Virginia Tech's recruiting results. Maryland can say we had Stefan Diggs and didn't do anything with him. Yeah, well, it worked out for Stefan Diggs, but it worked out for like, Stefan Diggs, but not not for Maryland because his brother yeah. went to Alabama. Maryland's 2021 class finished with Terrence Lewis, top 20 overall player, five star prospect. They flipped Brandon Jennings, uh, almost top 100 prospect from Michigan. Their class had another top 100 player from Maryland, and and they have three top 110 players in their class and finished number 18 overall. Like that class completely steamrolls Virginia Tech, and I think that you could say that they're head to head competitors. So I, I would agree. I don't know that Virginia Tech is meeting their standard in the ACC. Um, listen, their last class finished 10th in their own conference, and they only beat out Georgia Tech, Syracuse, Duke, and Wake Forest. So, like, it wasn't that long ago that Virginia Tech was, like, on the verge of winning a national championship or competing to play for a national championship. And it's like, I know Michael Virginia Vick isn't Tech, walking through Virginia the door. Virginia Tech carried the ACC for the, in the years right after it joined. Carried the conference. Like, it's, it's amazing to see that they're just not cool at all anymore. And I don't know not how you get... Not a single four-star signee last year. Not yeah, one. I don't, I don't even want to talk about the 2020 class because if I were the AD of that, I would, I would have moved on right after that one. That would have been it for me because if you're if you're Virginia Tech and you're finishing in the 70s and there's something terribly wrong, so you know the I, I get a lot of questions about Virginia Tech and it's like are they going to come back? It's like I don't know. Um, you know you saw moderate improvement from the worst class, one of the worst classes I've seen from a ranking standpoint in the 10 years I've been covering college football for a program this good. 
Um, so of course it's very easy to improve on something that was probably the worst ever. Um, but now I guess in 2022, we're going to have to see, are they going to jump back into the top 30? Because like if Maryland's signing top 20 classes, you better be in the top 25. Well, and I don't think that's an unreasonable ask for Virginia Tech. Virginia know, had they're a getting smoke. I mean, they're, they're getting I mean, smoked the right like, now. Like Virginia historically has always been, you know, they're going to get the crazy like one five star like the Morgan Moses type and then the rest of the class is going to be a bunch of you know hard working smart three star guys but now Virginia like and I trust Bronco like I trust Bronco to know what he's recruiting to like he and that staff have been together for a long time we know they know their identity so like when he recruits two four stars and and 22 three stars I have a very good suspicion that some of those three stars are going to work out because they know exactly where they're going to put them and yeah. how they're going to develop them. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess like the, the simple answer of like what's next is recruit better in the DMV area and hope to sign top 30 classes and sign at least. It, it, it feels to me like they don't have a huge, like a great identity. I just I don't know what should Virginia be built Tech's in. identity is right now. There's there's no reason why a team with this much advantageous uh, geography should be on this list, unless something's terribly wrong. I just don't understand. Like, what what are they? Because we knew what they were during the Frank Beamer era. They were a team that was going to smother you on defense, play great special teams, get those hidden yards, you know, get great field position, and they had good enough athletes on offense where, you know, there would be games where they would run really well or they'd have, they usually have a receiver that you had to worry about. Like, I, I just don't know what they are now. Yeah, I don't know either. I think what's next is start at home. And it's a shame that they're on, on, in the position when they have the clear answer here because so many teams um, wish that they could just say that and just don't have the option to say that. The fact that they have the option to say that and they're still on this list is a problem. And I, I don't know, I guess like we forgot one other one too. And I know we're kind of running long, but people, it's the best day of the week. You know, they'll, they'll deal with it. This is Nebraska. We didn't even talk about Nebraska. And like, I oh, think we that talk like, about Nebraska. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, what's, what's well, now for Nebraska? Well, Ohio, what, is, the, what is Nebraska's identity? Because I don't feel like they've developed, they've developed one under Scott Frost. They certainly didn't have one under, under Mike Riley. I, I don't think, I mean, Bo Pelini, they had an identity, but it was, it was, the defense is pretty good. The offense is is not going to be great, you know. I I was I remember being at that 09 Big Twelve Championship game. If they'd had a, a just a passable offense, they win that game. Nebraska's and I don't know for me, dude. It's like the idea of home run hire from quarterback who quarterbacked them to former quarterback who got them to and won a national championship who understands Nebraska at its running core running of what, an offense that should work. That should work there because you right. should be able to recruit to that offense there. But I don't get it. And, and it looked like he had the quarterback that would work for that offense. And I just, I don't understand how it's Scott been Frost so is probably the, tough. the biggest home run hire the day that he was hired, who has done the least. Yeah, I would agree Two with of that. them are in the Big Ten. I mean, I think Jim Harbaugh is in that conversation too. Um, but I don't Jim know Harbaugh what other was really good the first two years. He was. That's, that's he the was. part Frost didn't have. There, you know, Frost was not really good. For, and, but Michigan you know, was also far more advanced. Well, I don't know. I, I guess you can't. Right. I mean, the Hoke years. I don't know. I mean, I I don't think I don't think Michigan was that further ahead of where yeah, you're probably Nebraska right. was. 
Yeah. So I don't know. But it's just like how do you how do you gauge that what's hard? How do you gauge what's next? That's the thing. Like that's what makes this list so hard. It's just like if this isn't working, then what the heck is going to work? Because like this is the thing that was supposed right. to finally save the day. This was it. This was like the day Scott yeah. Frost was hired was the day that Nebraska was saved. And it's like here we are. And I think you could make the what did you he do? Make the case that things got worse. He brought an offense in that uses elements of the option. Great, smart. He said he was going to restore the walk-on program, which I think is is a very good thing at Nebraska. And and for I, I've explained this walk-on thing before, but Nebraska used to take and and they're doing it again, but to take huge numbers of walk-ons. And if you have the people to manage that, that's great. Because here's the thing. If you're carrying 60 walk-ons on your roster, there's a good chance two or three of those guys are going to develop by the time they're 21, 22 years old. And then you've got some players. And that that's an advantage to you, and especially if they play on the line. So that is something that, that because you have so much money, you can do that other teams. And I'm not saying you're paying. Your, I'm saying you can, you can pay enough staff to manage all those people. And because a lot of coaches don't want to do that just because it's unwieldy. It's hard to run a practice. But the thing is, if you take that many people and you're getting, let's say you get six guys who can play out of that group by the time they're juniors. Well, that covers up six recruiting misses or that's six free scholarship players, essentially. Like, that means a lot. It adds up. And so it felt like everything he wanted to do was the right thing to do. And it just hasn't worked. Have and you I given up hope? Could do the, no, no, because they have plenty of money. The facilities are great. The fan base is great. You go to one of those games, you're like, this is awesome. They, they have to figure it out. There has to be a way. And I, and I don't mean figure it out like you're going to win the national championship. You're going to win the way that you won in the nineties. I mean, figure it out so you can win the way Wisconsin and Northwestern win right now. Like, I feel like that's doable, but I don't know what the answer is either. And, you know, we could pretend, but I, when Scott Frost came in, the stuff he said he was going to do that as far as we can tell, he's done. I thought it would work. And your plan is go to Florida and just clean up on all the UCF recruits. My plan is just take the UCF players at this point because, <laughs> it, it, you know, not, not not like the UCF players, the same guys you would have recruited at UCF, like yeah. all of them. And just say, hey, you want to go to Nebraska? I realize it's cold, but it's a bigger level program than anybody who's recruiting you. So come on. Yeah. I, and I, people care. Yeah, absolutely. Because I do, I do think like, no, look. That 2017 UCF team that went undefeated, you know, recruited half to three quarters of the guys who were playing? George O'Leary. Now, he didn't have them all in the right place. Like, Shaquem Griffin was sitting there, like, third team safety when he should have been a, a first team linebacker. And, and this Frost staff figured that out. But that's the other thing. We gave him credit for that. He didn't build that team. George O'Leary built that team. And then that team got really tired of George O'Leary and lost every game in a year. But that's that's the part we we don't know yet if Scott Frost can can recruit to build a team because And you put him in a position where you're in no man's him. land and he has to be he has to build it for the first time in no man's land, which is not yeah. an easy proposition. Yeah, I mean, but here's the thing. I don't want to make it sound like Scott Frost didn't do anything. 
because he did the most important thing at UCF. He got the quarterback. He got Mackenzie Milton, who was a player he wanted to offer at Oregon, but Oregon offered Justin Herbert because he was the hometown kid. He really couldn't have gone wrong either way. Both of them are awesome. So I mean, it. it so he got Milton to, to UCF, and that is what allowed them to be as good as they were in 2017. But yeah, that's the thing. He didn't. He didn't fully build that roster. Yeah, yeah. So what's next? I don't know. Hope sitting hope. That's <laughs> what they've been doing. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I think I think it's it's just hope he works, and I, they're going to give him time, and then we'll see. But yeah, yeah. It's it's not easy. I know it, it, it's it's a hard job, and I'm not sure we realized how hard it was until yeah. the guy we thought would be a no brainer hasn't worked. It's always a hard, it's like you should be number one on the list when the no-brainer home run hire, the savior of the program can't do it. Then it's just like really is what's next. Right. Then then you're just guessing after that. I, yeah. I don't think anybody who says they know is lying at that, at that point. We'll be right back after these words. Now we get to something that's also very hard because we're going to do a random ranking now and it's a top five. And this is one that really could have gone 20 to 25 deep. Because what we had to leave off this list is so good that it's going to be rough. And I guarantee you Ari's going to have some, and he'll have one at number five. And I'm like, oh, my God, how did I know? How's that not on my list? And they're like, no, but I don't like it more than these. So we were, we were kicking around the idea of doing an emo, early aughts emo ranking because I did, a, uh, I did an emo pop punk run on Sunday and got inspired. But Ari's like, I don't know emo that well. I'm more of a hip-hop guy. So, all right, all right, let's do top top five Death Row Records songs. and Which is the funniest this, thing ever. Yes, yes. But it's because not like you actually crushed that run. I saw that run. I, oh, that was last... I, I am, that was Saturday night. The, the five no, miles... Oh, five the Dan mile Mullen run? run? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. When How I was do you run five Dan miles at 8.50? Like, that's insanely... No, no. You're he insanely in shape. five miles at 8.50. I did five miles at 8.38. I know. Well, I'm okay. I'm so sorry to undercut you there, Pat. But like that is, you are insanely good shape. No, I'm not. Because that's there insanely are hard. Who looked at that and we're like, oh, I can do that in in seven thirty eight. So oh, so people are out there running like six six and a half minute miles now for for leisure for, <laughs> for working fun. out. I, I think I were think you, there's some people. So there there are some casual runners who are running below eight on their splits. I am not there yet. I'm just saying in order to get to 838 or whatever the number, you have to be in very good shape. I think that you can acknowledge that. Oh, I appreciate that. No, I, yeah. it was nice because Mullen posted it the other day and I was like, I've never been able to, to beat that. Like I, I've been in the last few weeks very close to it. Like I think I, I think I got an 854 one time and I was like, I got to try because I've been so close. So now I've got a goal. Let's see if I can do it. And I was, I, I think I was really pissed off when I started running. So I was just like, ah, and, and they're not, at, not at anyone in particular, just, you know, but it worked. Yeah. Okay. So now I'm done complimenting you and now I want to rip your head off. Yeah. Um, you're mad at me because um, I, I, I only have one Tupac song in my, in my top five and Ari's, Ari's upset. Yeah. Now, death row. So the best, ba- the 
the best death row record songs little backstory for me too is like my father bought me the death row's greatest hits when i was like 11 and he bought me all eyes on me when i was nine i don't think the man knew what he was buying me but as my parents were driving around on errands on saturdays i'd be sitting in the back seat of my car listening to death row record songs on your headphones Uh, right those headphones remember those headphones and i have like the no the the walkman that was like no skip and then the headphones that went behind your ears and around the back oh, of your yeah. head yeah. and like this was i don't think they had any idea what they were bought my parents bought me or listening to so but like, I, I knew i remember so the chronic came out my freshman year of high school and i remember when my friend brought his his chronic cd over and we'd have to keep yeah. the, the volume down so my parents couldn't hear it but so yeah i was listening to to me to, i have this like weird thing too where it's like i think listening to rap music at a very uh, young age helped me like articulate better as an adult. And I think that everybody back in the day was so scared of the, the vulgar language and the subject matter. And, you know, there's stuff about, you know, selling drugs and murder and all the things that you find yeah, on there's these, some bad there's some these. bad stuff on there, but I also feel like it's, it was more beneficial to me to listen to that than it ever was hurtful because well, when you're a kid, you don't even I know go, what you're listening to, but you also like old man rant. They they were so much more lyrically gifted. Like the guys today, Kendrick Lamar is is incredibly lyrically gifted, but if you listen to a lot of stuff that's really popular today, it's just mumbling basically. Like they they just still they, they find don't it. have it's the verbal there, dexterity gotta, of of a yeah. Snoop Dogg or a or a. I mean, Dre's not even a very good rapper. Dre's just a great producer, but yeah. I mean. Tupac was just an amazing rapper, and 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 even if you go down, like Warren G was the DJ, but he was pretty good too. Yeah, hip hop is not the same, and and I think it's like funny too because as I was a kid, you know, everybody's dad always used to say like, "Hey, this is the they don't make music the way that they used to make it when I was," and it's like funny because now I'm in my my early thirty, what's thirty three, almost mid thirties. And the music that I grew up listening to now is becoming extinct. Now they they still make music that I like, um, but like early '90s uh, or mid '90s, and even hip hop into the 2010s, they don't make us. You know, aside for some of the you know artists that are they still don't make pumping bangers out records, they don't, you, you know they who, don't make you know who it still anymore. makes bangers. bangers. Who women make bangers? Like Megan The Stallion is. <laughs> Very lyrical, like she has lyrical dexterity, whereas all, yeah, the, all the I want to do don't, <laughs> yeah. Well, all I want to do is listen to a person just rap bars for three minutes on a fun beat, and it's just like that is a really hard like, thing like, to do. Like that, like that Black Thought freestyle where he went for like nine minutes. Oh my god! And like, did you ever like analyze that? <laughs> oh, wow, it's incredible. Listen to that. I black- don't know how. Like it, it, it is so amazing. I watched that thing probably twenty times because. I just, it, it is so amazing that somebody could could do that for that long. How do you not run out of stuff to say? And I realize I he's practiced even, and he's put in his ten thousand hours, but I mean, like, are we actually believing yeah. that that was a freestyle? I think it probably was. I mean, because I mean, it's just pure. I mean, to write it by itself was amazing, but like the fact that he did it without writing any of it down and just kind of like went on for hours, or I mean, for like ten minutes, which seems like, like hours. yeah, it was like it's nine like, ten minutes. It was awesome. Yeah, and it so, was like you could make an entire album with all of those. I mean, you honestly like an entire album when you take verses and you put them all together probably is what fifteen total minutes. Yeah, of just pure rap. 
Okay, so listen, I want to I want to address something with you, and I don't know if we're allowed yeah, to do this, but I'm going to do this. You may. So Andy and I were texting about this this list before we started, and you know I'm sure they'll be all over the place. And trying to condense song like 50 songs that have a case to be in the top five is impossible. So you're going to get offended, or you're going to be like, "Holy crap! How did you leave these songs off?" But it's just personal preference. But Andy told me he only had one Tupac song, and if it were up to me, I'd probably have all five of them from Tupac because I think that All Eyes on Me is one of the greatest, probably not the greatest record ever. And maybe part of the reason why is because it was the first record my dad ever bought me when I was eight years old. Um, and see, there, there you go. But Ari's having. I mean, it's mic still no. Now. Sorry, I accidentally unplugged my mic, but. That has nothing to do with it. Obviously, I I love the that record. That has everything to do with it, Ari. It's one of the greatest a, records of all time. It's a great album that, that shouldn't be a double album. You said Tupac that. was trying to get out of it. He was trying to have enough output to get out of his deal with Death Row. Because he didn't want to be with Suge because Tupac yeah. was smart. Those are all facts. So. <laughs> I cut and pasted your text. Everything on All Eyes on Me but Ambitions as a Writer, How Do You Want It? Two of America's Most Wanted, Only God Can Judge Me, California Love, Picture Me Rolling, All Eyes at Me, and I Ain't Mad at You as filler. It's a perfect single-length album. Perfect. I know, but you you, you said Can't See Me, Holla at Me, Me, uh, Hearts of Men, They're Shorty Want to Be a Thug, and Thug Passion are filler songs. They're Those five fine. songs alone would be better than the best songs in most people's catalogs. If it were up yeah, to but me, it, I would But we're put- not talking about most people. We're comparing it to, okay, the the... I've got you can't two songs. Call, can't see me as filler music. That's I that's have two songs false. from Doggy Style on this list. I could have put five songs from Doggy Style on this list. Okay, let's just get into the list. I I can't believe that anybody could refer. It's like spitting on the Mona Lisa. It's like calling any song from All Eyes on Me filler well, music is the most it was offensive thing you've ever said this, on this podcast. It was, it was very interesting going through this because I did not realize how much I liked a young Snoop Dogg, how gifted a young Snoop Dogg was. So. That that's that's probably why. And you'll you know it's actually kind of funny how back in the day when these guys were first starting off, uh, how like threatening they were to people of like because they're vulgar lyrics, and like now Snoop Dogg is just like a sun kissed commercial like mascot (laughs) after like being on trial for for murder. You know what I mean? Like when you think about like what he's become, like Ice Cube makes children's movies. It's like, do you remember what these guys were like when they first got famous? Like people were like afraid of them. Their records like were the talk of like television newscasts about how vulgar and detrimental well, they are to society. I can't believe your dad bought you Death Row's greatest hits with that with that logo on the cover. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what he, my dad is. I a was very in college. Awesome I could just go buy it. So. Yeah, no, my parents bought me uh, Bone Thugs records. I've like loved rap music even before like I was supposed to. I don't know how I was even exposed to it. Maybe it was the radio, but like. Um, more, more money, more problems came out when I was like a nine years old and like all just like the sound of it always appealed to me. And just, one time I was, it, I was playing Mace uh, super, hadn't ruined that song with, by being involved in it on the first verse. Uh, my, uh, we, I was my playing mace, super, we're going to leave my mace rant out for our, uh, yeah, it's okay. I understand. He's smooth. He, for he, our, he, our puffy. Okay. Produced, why don't you start us off? Our top five puff produced songs. Later. All right. Why don't you start us off? All right. Number five for me. Murder was the case. Snoop at his storytelling best. It's, it's like, I don't want to do this. It's impossible. Like, that's not on my it's list. Hard. And it's just like, it's embarrassing. And you're like, that it's oh, not. it should be. Yeah, and and no. you're going you're gonna to come with a Tupac song. And I'm gonna like, oh, I should have had that on there. Well, you might not actually, because I'm kind of like, I, I wanted, I intentionally tried to make my list, not the list that 
played at my high school dances. Cause like everybody loves California love and it's just like, everybody knows oh, that no, song I, should California be on there. Love's not on my list either, but like California love is probably the most played death row song of all time. Because, so it's like, how can you leave that off the list? Because get, it's like, you had to get Dre and Tupac on a track together and you had to get the video with them together. I mean, it was, it was that it, was, that was your pure radio MTV. I know, plug. but the song not, is still a classic. Like, how do you leave that off? The, I, I'm not even started yet. I don't even want to do this because the, my five okay. are much better than California love. <laughs> Okay, well, my number five is Pump Pump from Snoop Dogg. And if it were up to me, I would be um, all five Tupacs. I think you could make this list out of all Eyes on Me songs. Um, But Pump Pump, I think, is a really great song. It's the perfect song for a movie, too, because I think they used it on uh, Above the Rim uh, during one of the basketball scenes, and it was awesome. And it's just like, that was like gangster Snoop. Like, that was like an intimidating death row song. Like, I think that that... That might be the best Snoop song of all time, which Snoop I think is a crazy thing to say. Snoop was never intimidating. He's like six. He was like six four, one thirty back then. Was he was when he was on trial for murdering somebody. <laughs> well, murder. Yeah. yeah sure. You. What was your number five again? That's a, that's a pretty intimidating <laughs> song for eight year old Ari. Murder was the case. Yeah. But the thing is, that was like murder was the case is a Johnny Cash song. Like it is a story, and that's a, yeah. Snoop is one of the great hip hop storytellers. Now, it, okay. yeah, I, like, look, my entire list could have been from Doggy Style. I'm telling you right now. And like, Lottie Dottie's a cover, but it's 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 sort of, it, I'm not putting that on my list, by the way. I'm just After saying. After we're done with this podcast, I'm, I'm going to put up a poll on on Twitter, and I want to see who wins. But we'll, go ahead. Okay. We'll, we'll, you're number right, four. Number four for me is a Tupac song, but okay. not off all eyes on me. Okay. Dear Mama. I love Dear Mama. Yeah, I mean, it's Dear touching. Dear Mama made but- me cry. I love my mother very much, but uh, like these are death row songs that didn't. When he even, says even, putting money in your mailbox, like even though I sell rocks, it felt good putting money in your mailbox. Like that's a hell of a hell of a line yeah. right there. Yeah, I just it's just not the. It's a it's a classic, and everybody who loves their mother can relate to the song. You need it. You uh, need it to be hard. I understand. I want it to be like when I'm my soft, windows are like down. Like that guy I on want, Twitter yelled at us about. I'm no, soft. no, 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 no. You're not soft at all. It's just I'm. I'm just. It wasn't something that I like. Bangers, man, and that's not a banger. So okay, uh, my number four is hit 'em up. It has to be on the list because it is like the best diss song of all time. I had time. debated and, this. I didn't know if I was going to put hit 'em up on there. Uh, the, two good diss songs re- released by Death Row. No Vaseline. No Vaseline was released by Death Row. Also, yeah. Uh, yeah. I think you could say that "Hit 'Em Up" is the best diss song of all time. I mean, maybe "Ether." I don't know, but well, "Hit 'Em Up" it's is just like "Hit 'Em Up" or "No Vaseline," or "Hit 'Em Up" is a cultural Mar- icon. Mar- Marvin Gaye naming his album "Here, My Dear." Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, "Hit 'Em Up" like started what turned into violence that ended both of their lives like i think you could say like it was like the first step towards that whole thing happening so you know i know that i've watched all the documentaries of who killed who and you know i don't know how in depth uh you want to get into this but like these were like real people who didn't hate each other who ended up dead as a result of a media right you know i mean it's insane but hit him up is like the most uh, one of the most iconic songs of all time. And it's well, not the, one of my top I mean, the five favorite line songs of hit him up. The opening yeah. line of hit him up is like, this is a declaration of war. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I, uh, I don't know if it's even a top five favorite Tupac song, 
But like, I just am trying to make sure that my list is well represented. Like, I'm not even, I don't even know if the right way about doing this is like your favorite ones. It's just my, a matter well, of just. So like, and for me, it was like, okay, I feel like I got to get the, the different genres represented. Like this one's my favorite party song. Okay. And I debated between this one and another one from the same album. And I went with What's My Name. It's a good one. And I, I, I debated between this one and Gin and Juice because I love them both. And one of my high school football teammates, uh, his name was Brian Gross. I don't think I knew that for the first three years I knew him because everybody just called him Coos. Uh, but he got a number 94 Pittsburgh Penguins Gin and Juice jersey for his birthday in 1994. It and was what, unbelievable. <laughs> when he broke that thing out in the locker room, everybody went nuts. It's but so no, funny what, how we... My, yeah, what's, what's my, my name, name I mean, was sort of this is Snoop's coming out as a solo artist, and yep. it just it, it it's a perfect party song. Okay, my number three um, is a song that you call the filler song, uh, which I think it's more maybe one of my favorite songs of all time, "Hearts of Men." It was right after uh, Tupac got released from prison and like kind of Bart uh, bat, uh, turned out onto the scene as a death row artist. And like, right as the song starts, just says, Shug, what did I tell you? What I'm going to get out, what I was going to do. And then just like snaps over an intense beat for like three minutes. That song is an iconic song. It's not filler, Andy. And it is like, it might not make anybody's list. Trying to get out of his deal, man. There's nothing better than like rolling your windows down and just letting that that song fly. Unleash Tupac. Like Tupac just raging into the mic is a force of nature. Let's be yeah. honest. And I don't think anybody's ever been able to been able to do the same. Like just the way that he just commanded his voice, his pace, his his lyrics. Um, I don't know. I just he's an he's like an icon. I like comparing doggy style to all eyes on me is like insulting to me. Because you're looking at it as a piece of art. I'm looking at it as what are my favorite songs? Um, I mean, these are all my favorite. Like what's going to get my ass shaken? Gin and juice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's yes. hard because I didn't put gin and juice on my list. So, like, but I understand. Well, and it's like, also it's also different places in our lives. Like, you yeah. you have to understand, Doggy Style came out when I was a sophomore in high school. Like, yeah, it was the soundtrack to a lot of stuff. Yeah, no, I know, I know. It's like funny because the the rap album that came out when I was in high school that was like the the rap album that everybody listened to was get rich or die trying. Like that was the rap rap album yeah. that came out when I, so like I can understand that. Um, okay. <laughs> so what's your number bumping with, uh, yeah. <laughs> dun, what's your number dun, two in the club? All right. Um, my number two as a piece of art is terrible as a song that everybody will get up and, and start singing along <laughs> to regulate. <laughs> yeah. That, Regulators I mean, mount I, up. It's I don't perfect. Really, the Michael McDonald sample. It's just it's, beautiful. The whole it thing. is what it is. Nate it's Dog. a part of the. Yeah, it's all a part of the action. It's all part of the, well, the and, time and, and the that's culture. The thing. But, I can't have a list without celebrating Nate Dogg. Because it was not a hit unless Nate Dogg spit. Yeah, that's true. Uh, it didn't come close to making my list. Uh, but I understand why it's on yours. Uh, my number two. The, the old Wikipedia page for Regulate was spectacular, by the way. <laughs> My number two, I feel like I kind of forced Snoop on my list because, like, I didn't want it just to be only Tupac songs. Why? Just, um, it should be what you want it to be. But, like, it's also um, Dr. Dre was on the 
on the track too, but nothing but a G thing, I think is the first song I ever downloaded on Napster. Um, it was like <laughs> one of the first songs that like I uh, really, I mean, this, the beat is perfect. Dre and Snoop are on it. I don't think it's. Have you have you seen the the documentary, the the Dre and Jimmy Iovine documentary? Yeah, where they of talk about how fanatical Dre was about every little aspect of every song on the Chronic. I mean, yeah, I mean it's he he crazy. He is a. I don't like to throw the word around a lot, but these guys were geniuses in their own right, and that song I think was in the perfect their own song. right. You can you can you can put the period after geniuses. Well, I know, but some people might be like, well. This this category of music isn't. People need well, to like. I have exp- no. I have no respect for those people. They're, listen, you can make anything bubblegum, or you can make it art. They made it art. I think they're geniuses. Yeah, I so, think I called Tupac a prophet <laughs> in our text messages. Uh, but uh, but this song is just. It had to be on the list. I don't know if it's one of my top five favorite songs of all time, but when it comes to Death Row Records, this this song is the epitome of what Death Row it's, Records it's is. It's my it's my number one. Okay, because it established the tone. It, right. it created. It essentially created a genre unto itself, and yep. that's it. And it's your first time. The first time you hear Snoop come on, you're like, oh my god, this is a star. This is yep. what a star sounds like. Yeah, I, I couldn't leave it off. Um, and he I don't rhymes know. lieutenant and while I'm up in it. Yep. Okay, what's number two? That No, that was my number one. Nothing yeah. but a G thing was my number one, so we're your number one now. No, but I never heard your number two. Regulate. Oh, Regulate was your number two. Okay. Uh, my number one is uh, Ambitions as a Rider by Tupac Shakur. It's the perfect song. And, Nothing wrong uh, with that. And it's like California to love didn't make my, my list to live and die in LA. Didn't make my list. Gin and juice. Didn't make my list. Doggy dog world. Didn't make my list. Like there are a thousand songs that Afro should Puffs be on the didn't make your list. Like, I mean, think about all the lady the, of the, rage. The, yeah. Lady of rage. Didn't keep their heads ringing. Didn't make it. Um, troublesome. Didn't make it. Lottie Dottie. <sighs> didn't make it. Me Lottie against Dottie's the world. Didn't make it. Although here's, here's a, here's a random ranking. I've done this a couple times, but I think this is one we need to do covers that are better than the original like the uh yeah. the all along the watchtower memorial covers better than the original but lottie dotty might be up there because i think i think snoop's version is probably better than slick, slick Rich. yeah so i mean i i don't know if I, I like i can respect your list i just can't respect the fillers comment so i need to I, it's this fine. is an hour it's an hour and a half uh tweet at andy if you think that any song on all eyes and me is filler who just also named uh his favorite rap artists or album uh doggy style which has five interludes i did not say that's filler? my favorite rap album Ari. <laughs> no i know but you can't you, you can't tell that all eyes on me is filler yeah. when doggy style my has favorite five rap interludes. album is a, is equimini and it's not even close yeah and if you say any of that is filler we would probably have i wouldn't say hands. that because that's that's wrong i want you to apologize <laughs> for saying anything on all eyes on me is filler and then using right, I, the apo- al- I apologize uh, tupac uh, okay i'm sorry okay so <laughs> I got Andy to say sorry about something. I think we should end well, it here. No, just it, so. Here's the thing. I, well, here's the thing. You're right. Because what I am saying is filler for Tupac is still a hundred times better than the average anything coming out right now. Yeah, but like one of the best songs, like one of my favorite songs of all time, like didn't make your filler cut. And I was just like, that song is perfect, you know? So, but, but you got to remember the, the song the song that you just played over and over when you're 9 hits you different. 
Yeah. Then, then for me, that's that album came out my freshman year in college. Is is great, but there were other things coming out. Remember, Life After Death came out shortly after that. So there, there's a this lot going eight, on. You're you're naming out my eight year old Re uh, CD collection right now. <laughs> Your parents, thanks, parents Dad. Would not let me get those. <laughs> they would not have let me get let me get those at all. All right, yeah, let me tell you, parental advisory did not work. <laughs> Sorry, Tipper. We're gonna have your dad on someday, and uh, and and we will get an explanation of how how that passed muster at Circuit City. Uh, yeah, you know, I think he was just getting it to be a good dad, and I don't think he was really paying attention. And you know, hey, maybe it helped me in some weird way become a better writer. I don't know. There you go. There you go. Poetic justice. See you, Ari. Right.